You gotta hit as many doors as you can. Uh, not very counterintuitive. But I'll be. Honest, I think everybody most likely knows if they want to invest in you in the first call itself. Uh, after that, they're just reasoning it out for themselves. So that comes back to saying, if you hit as many doors, hmm. then this will end up getting triggered at some point. Got it. Because it's just that it seems like you know uh, you're talking to like instead of talking to hundred people, talk to a thousand people. The probability of somebody going ahead and liking you in the first hour is much higher, and then they will be constantly working at convincing themselves. Hello and welcome to First Principles, a brand new podcast from the Ken, where we ask some of India's most successful entrepreneurs and leaders about their lenses. That's right, the lenses that equip them to see and interact with the world differently than others. On the one hand, these could be personal philosophies. mental models or decision making frameworks and on the other hand their reading habits parenting styles or personal interests i'm rohin dharma kumar ceo and co-founder of the ken and the host of this show my endeavor will be to make each episode an authentic candid and insightful conversation about the lenses each guest puts on and how they help them navigate both work and life differently than most of us My guest in our very first episode is Kabir Biswas, the co-founder and CEO of Dunzo, one of India's most recognizable and fastest-growing quick commerce companies. But the Dunzo we see today has very little in common with what it started as. Kabir himself landing up at people's doorsteps in Bengaluru to pick up and deliver something, anything they wanted. So let's dive right in and see the world through Kabir's lenses. All right Kabir what's a one line description of what is Danzo One lines hmm Danzo is trying to build the largest convenience uh, what you call product for urban indian customers we focus on two big categories one is for customers to be able to buy their daily and weekly essentials and the second one is for us to be able to enable logistics for every local merchant or enterprise out there in the country That's a mouthful Um, if if you told that to my mom, she wouldn't understand. Could I ask you to rephrase how you would tell my mom what Danzo is? Auntie, do you want to be able to go ahead and buy stuff, grocery, and it can come to you quickly in the next twenty minutes time? And also, do you want to send something to Rohan uh, that you made last evening? Uh, both of those are possible by just going ahead and pay, uh, opening up Danzo. Great. I mean that's a great answer, and I'm sure um, she'll understand it. Well, she's a customer, um, so she already understands it. Um, Kabi, what I'm going to do is, for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about Dunzo, sure. and you have the freedom to answer those questions or to decline to answer those questions. So I'm going to ask you how big a bunch of questions around how big Dunzo is today. How many monthly orders are you doing these days? We do about eight to ten million monthly transactions. Wow! Um, how big is your organization in terms of people? Uh, on rolls, we have about thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred people. Uh, we now, of course, have our what you call um, delivery partners also that are on the ground. So we have close to about sixty, sixty-five thousand delivery partners, um, and of course, the off-roll uh, people on the team are close to about five thousand odd off-roll people. Wow! And across how many cities? Uh, we are in about 
ten cities now. And how many customers do you have? We have about five million monthly customers. These are massive numbers. Um, what's your revenue? <laughs> the revenue and the transaction volume numbers. I think you will get to read hopefully in an annual report that we put out at some point. Great. All right. Uh, what's the total quantum of venture funding that you've raised? Lots. Uh, I think you're doing the to, math in your head. I think close to about three hundred and fifty million dollars. Got it. And what was your last valuation? Um, I think you can backward calculate it based upon ROC filings, but about eight hundred odd million. Got it. Um, you said you know explanation that you can like you know get stuff delivered in about twenty minutes. What would be your average order delivery time? Like you know, across operations. Oh, that's uh, so. Our average is close to about what do you call um, 19 to 20 minutes. P95, which I think is more important, uh, is closer to about 24, 25. Sorry, what's P95? Um, so you have 100 uh, orders being delivered from what you call uh, in increasing uh, uh, what you call amount of time that you have taken. So the first, so your quickest order was in six minutes, but your hundredth order, suppose, got delivered in like. Um, Say forty-five minutes. Got it. P ninety-five is the ninety-fifth percentile, right? So over Got there, it. it's about twenty-four, twenty-five. Great. Thank you for all those answers um, <laughs> and for your candor. The last time when we had like a really long interview was in two thousand eighteen, and that long. I asked you, uh, yes, uh, and I asked you what was your last valuation, and your last post-money valuation was thirty million dollars. Um, obviously, you've traveled a long uh, way since then. Uh, earlier this year, you raised what about two hundred and fifty million dollars, close to about. that, right? And you're again raising somewhere between two hundred, three hundred million dollars. We're not necessarily in the market right now to raise capital. Right. Other than the fact that every company is raising all the time, we're not necessarily in the market to raise capital right now. Got it. Great. So obviously, you've traveled a huge distance since we last met. One of the phrases that stuck with me from when we spoke the last time was an advice that you'd got: "Don't make this a binary outcome." Right? Um, have you managed to? Do you want to explain what that means uh, for people, and whether you've managed to actually, like, you know, not make it a binary outcome? I would hope so. That this isn't a binary outcome. Um, I haven't thought what about is, that phrase for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, because I think we m- most likely have gone past it a while back. Uh, but I do know who told me that, which I think um, I must uh, thank them after this conversation. Um, I think a binary outcome is basically saying, you know, uh, either you do really well or you do zero, um, right? Um, and I think we set ourselves up for um, either outlier success or failure. Um, I think. Increasingly over the last three, four, three years, right, of building this, um, I've come to that point where I'm like, companies are about building blocks, and you know you need to be able to build uh, block three after you have built one and two, um, right? And potentially you are on what you call journeys that are unlimited if you want to be able to imagine them. Uh, but it's got to do with your what you call vision and imagination of what you can build with a business. um and so i think once we went ahead and what you call cross the basic pmf bit where you know uh, we figured what out was that? what so the product market fit in terms of one uh, making sure that there was high retention and we were able to go ahead and make money at a pnl ebitda level i think commerce businesses just retention isn't enough uh 
EMF is only when you can actually make money. Um, so I think we were able to achieve both of them in Bangalore multiple times because we have gone ahead and used Bangalore as a model market for ourselves. Uh, where every, what you call, 12 to 15 months of one spurt of scale, uh, we go back and try and figure out as to whether the unit economics are making sense, even when we do new categories and stuff like that. Uh, we are big fans of ma making sure that that's true. Um, I think so once we figure out our first bits of unit economics um, and then scale that across what you call cities, um, I think it stopped being a binary outcome uh, where, you know, okay, it would be a complete dud. Uh, because when we met that time, it could have been a complete zero also. Um, right. Um, and I know specifically who's told me this, so I remember it from that perspective. Um, so I think we have, we have passed that point, but I'll be honest, I don't think in the, uh, in the startup ecosystem or in the venture world, uh, and I think this is a phrase that I read from Amazon, by the way, which I, which I really like. Um, I think Bezos said this, he's like, Amazon's going to someday run out of money and go bankrupt. Our job is to, as Amazonians is to make sure that we can delay it as far as possible. Right. It's an incredible quote, right? Um, it also, if you have read only the paranoid survive, etc., all of those things linked into it uh, altogether. Uh, I don't think it's important to anymore think about the binary outcome, but I think we have built value. Uh, that's how we think about it. Uh, what is the right value for it? Who knows? Uh, but yeah. I think we, over the last three years time, we have been able to build value that, uh, that we can be proud of at least. I think that I think is the, is the driving force by itself where customers at scale can today tell us that we are solving problems for them in their lives. In some ways then, the binary outcome concept is pretty much what's standard in the VC space, right? Go big or go home. Um, entrepreneurs, startups are taught that either you aim for the stars and succeed or you fail. And that's like, you know, almost like a given, right? Is there is there like a counter philosophy that you have perhaps for that, which is go big or go somewhere else? I think how you go big is very important. Um, and I think it's very important to talk about the hows uh, uh, when people do stuff, right? Uh, when we must have last met, um, I think our scale was at a point where at early stages, what are the ratios, right? People are looking at seven deaths out of 10, uh, 10 companies that people fund. Um, eight also sometimes. Um, and those are stellar numbers, by the way. Um, nine out of 10 is also very often heard. Um, so, uh, I think that was really the scale that we were, uh, that we were up against. Um, I don't know whether we are the one or two yet, uh, right? Because we never believe the fact that we have, um, gotten to a point where, you know, it's, there's no point in being comfortable ever, right? Uh, we believe that, uh, we are constantly in, uh, somebody who is competing, um, who is trying to build a better user experience. If we don't do it, somebody else will. Um, and we need to be able to constantly do that. It's also got to do slightly with the fact that there are few moats in commerce businesses. Um, and that unfortunately means that customers constantly need to be thrilled about using your product. Um, and you need to make sure that you deliver on that. Um, so you're just looking for the next bit that can go ahead and thrill them. Um, so yeah, I don't know whether we are the one or two yet. Um, we don't think about it like that. We think about this, that we are on a really long journey now. Uh, the first three, four years have allowed us to make sure that we have been able to create a good foundation for that journey. Uh, this is now a 2025 year game, uh, if you're playing this correctly. Um, we will redefine the way Indian cities look if we go about this correctly. Uh, so, but that's really, and that's a, that's a, that's a long path to play out. Um, and so we're just on that direction. Got it. 
I'm going to take you back to when you started Dunzo and ask you why did you start Dunzo? Oh, my reason to start Dunzo is extremely personal. I just think that something like this should exist. Um, I am somebody who was, uh, I'm a child of convenience, if that's the way to put it. Um, I I remember when Uber launched in San Francisco. When I read it, I was amazed by what it could do. I was like, you press a button and a cap comes, right? Uh, and then I remember I used to be in Gurgaon and then when it launched in Bangalore, um, I actually came down to Bangalore to try it out. Uh, this, of course, they were doing BMWs and Mercedes and stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the really large innovations on the mobile internet that not enough people give credit to. At the end of the day, the whole idea of what you call making location-based information and dispatch algorithms real-time. That's what it is, right? That's what everybody is building on top of. Uh, food delivery builds on top of that. Consumables delivery builds on top of that. Um, everybody is building on top of those couple of what you call innovations that Uber did. Um, and so once I tried that out, I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, can you actually press a button and get everything else done? Um, and that was really a one-line insight that I'll be honest, like didn't leave me for like 18 months. Um, I used to keep thinking about it. I was like, yeah, and every time I used to do something on a Saturday, Sunday, and I think I'm fundamentally lazy. Um, so on a Saturday, Sunday, uh, I would be like, there should be something that can solve my life's problems. Um, you did solve it yourself. You started by not being a child of convenience, but being the provider of convenience because you ran a bunch of tasks yourself, uh, like, you know, for years, right? What's the total number of tasks that you've run at Dunzo? I must have run about good 10,000 odd orders, I think. Uh, there was a period of about 10, 15 months where I was just like, what is this product? Right? Like, I don't know what it means. Um, I just have this one line thought. Um, and I just basically told three friends in Bangalore um, to say, hey, you know, why don't you send me your requirements and I will do them for you. Um, and at some point, they just started telling other people and friends. Um, and uh, and it just took off. In like a four or five month period, we acquired like 10, 12,000 users. Um, traffic started going up. No tech, nothing. WhatsApp had no APIs. We were maintaining all of this on Excel sheets. Uh, no metrics, no nothing. <laughs> I just knew that we were solving a problem, right? And customers kept coming back. Um, and the one thing that we did was we kept uh, being honest about our quality of service um, and then just keep making sure that we keep improving our quality of service. Um, and a lot of it was just out of hard work. Um, you're a founder CEO. Uh, as founder CEOs, um, I think what happens often is that like you will something to reality. You saw something, you thought that there's a space for it, it should exist. Most people may not agree with it, but you believed in it, right? And you kind of have to build it. You have to almost kind of build it into reality. Uh, phrases like fake it till you make it are very real, right? Because, I mean, it doesn't exist. So you obviously have to make it. Um, and, and you've kind of like, you know, played a huge role in bringing Dunzo to where it today. My question is, um, how do you keep yourself honest as a founder CEO? Because sometimes you believe in things which don't exist, which perhaps may not exist. And sometimes you believe in things which you can, right? But there is a line. Sometimes you have to let go of an idea along the way, which, which is your end as a founder, CEO. The rest of the organization lends a lot of weight to what you think is right, right? So sometimes you have to learn when to let go. I mean, how do you keep yourself honest? 
I think building a culture of calling bullshit is important. Uh, right. How do you uh, do that? How oh, does it exist inside? Just uh, like you know, uh, and I think it's often the way or how you say it, uh, right? Uh, and you frame it. Uh, so, like, if I have an idea, I usually put together a one pager, right? Saying, you, you know, this is how I think about it. Um, or if somebody else is working on a project and I actually might not agree, um, I might actually go ahead and again take a weekend off, put together a note, saying, you know, these are the things that I would explore. uh but finally this is your decision cause it is your project uh and it's for you to adapt things or not but yeah that whole i think the whole what you call uh founder ceo thing is actually um, more important from the concept of relevance actually uh right at the end of the day i think internet businesses constantly uh, or even new age businesses forget internet businesses right um in the context of their customers are uh, fighting for relevance right um, how can you go ahead and constantly be relevant to your customers and to the market that you're already servicing how do you get to the next set of market also um and that is often an outside in what you call uh, look into the organization and the market that only this vantage point has um it's literally your responsibility to be able to go ahead and take that vantage point and be honest about it right um so when we start doing new categories for example uh we might want to do this because we think that it requires four things to succeed at this category we have two of them the other two will be great at building um the one thing that we do keep true at dunzo constantly is we are willing to test every idea right um if there is any merit um for the biggest of ideas and for the smallest of ideas we test and we test in a really small market somewhere to be able to know if it is going to work or not work right uh, so we don't necessarily have the habit of dismissing anything right no ideas bad if you think that you know we can go ahead and take through basic questions regarding a one pager if you have thought through it a small little area to be able to test something is absolutely something that everybody should be able to go ahead and do then it has to hold up to the robustness of that test right you run a scientific test you understand whether it is actually having uh, what you call either revenue sided impact or cost sided impact or retention sided impact um and if it does work then we'll scale it um i think we have gone through our own mistakes by having what you call launch something a little bit more big bang than we would want to uh, but only a couple not too many of them um so whenever we fail we tend to fail in a small test and move on uh whenever we do succeed we have the confidence to be able to scale literally any experiment um absolutely anywhere in the country very very quickly um and that's something that works not only for the ceo's idea it works for somebody who's just managing a small part of the supply chain also um so we just we'll test anything you are a big believer in feedback loops of course i mean do you like are there feedback loops that you've explicitly constructed to inform you and give you feedback on when you might be wrong, wrong about something or right about something i'm not talking about dunzo i'm talking about your feedback loops so um i look at them as uh, two forms uh, right um, one is external and internal um, to the organization uh, on the external side of course i think uh, i might be doing a lot more than on the internal than i realize uh because i think i just care a little bit more on exactly what's happening on the user partner and merchant one so even today i think on a daily basis uh 
I get at least about 50 contacts between a user, partner and a merchant reaching out to me directly on WhatsApp call or email. Um, and I most likely read all of it and get it resolved also via a small team that's just looking at those. Um, it most likely keeps me much more connected to the business. Uh, because of course, you take out time to be able to call up customers, etc. But some things data is not going to show. Right. Uh, just hearing from users directly um, and especially when things go wrong, uh, they tend to teach you a lot of stuff um, internally. And of course, with people close, um, I think uh, the honest this is. Uh, and so this is something that I tell people when I uh, when we start working together at the top, I have just two levels of trust. I have 100 or zero. Right. Um, and so there are binary outcomes. Binary outcome on trust should exist. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I think I. I'm putting absolutely all the faith in the world for you to be able to do what you are doing and you will never have to super guess me. That is a promise that I make while we are working together. Uh, right? Uh, and uh, and in case there is something that I feel is off, etc. I'm not going to wait for necessarily what you call setting up conversations. We'll chat then and there itself at the end of that meeting or at the end of that day or something like that and have a quick conversation saying, you know, maybe this could have gone differently. Uh, right? Uh, and... On the other end, I go ahead and open it up from uh, that, that if you need time from me, we will find time today, right? Uh, to be able to go ahead and have a chat, worst case 36 hours, right? Um, and I think there are two or three things that we keep very close to ourselves culturally. One is we are very honest, we are very humble, um, and we are constantly curious, uh, right? Uh, those are three things that, uh, what you call, um, I think I have, and Honestly, again, the founder CEO role also determines the fact that, you know, your cultural traits tend to show up in the organization's cultural traits. Um, so I think those are the three things that we over-index on and the organization tends to go ahead and reward also. Um, it allows us to make sure that by building companies is really hard. Um, so if you can have those three things as the cornerstone of your conversation, um, at least the bullshit from your conversation is gone. Right? You're honest, you're humble, and you'll constantly be curious. But I'm going to switch to um, the consumer side of Dunzo and ask you a couple of questions about consumer behavior. Um, as a Dunzo, long-time Dunzo user myself and generally as a business journalist, I do feel that there are kind of two kinds of behavior, right? One is getting a consumer to try something, right, that Dunzo has launched. And the other is to get the consumer to form a habit around something, right? I want to ask you about what's your personal philosophy around forming habits in consumers super um i think uh, trials are easy i mean the reason i ask this question is because you offer free delivery you offer a discount habits are harder habits are harder absolutely right um i think uh, uh, what results in habits is uh, and i think broadly from all commerce businesses right uh, there are four things that i think uh, we end up focusing on um, and I'll get that into a little bit of from a segmentation perspective also. Um, speed, quality, price, um, and uh, um, selection specifically um, in our case also, uh, especially commerce, commerce, um, right? Um, what you need to be able to do is on those four things, again, selection, price, quality, and speed. Um, you need to be able to go ahead and find your right sweet spot with different customers. Um, Danzo started off as a business that was trying to speak to the top one and a half million customers, two million customers in this country. Um, in fact, you folks have written about it uh, a lot regarding the fact that at the top end, the market in India is fairly tiny. 
um and i think over there uh, we did a phenomenal job of delivering convenience uh right um, and for whatever convenience could cause a habit i think we ended up creating a habit i think over the years uh, we have realized that if you need to get to a 50 million tam in this country uh we are actually not selling That's something called convenience total addressable market total addressable market right um you're selling categories to them right you're selling behaviors to them you're selling so uh, use cases to them um and i think over there the four vectors that i told you about are actually very different for them than what works for the top 2 to 3 million customers so i have a question there yes what are some of the hard lessons you've learned about consumer behavior after having lost at least a few million dollars in the process the first and biggest one is uh, not everybody wants stuff with you okay it's uh, i mean did you very, really need to spend millions of dollars no, to arrive like at think that? about it right we have all been told the fact that if you can do it faster do it customers will uh, customers will love you and want you for it it will lead to higher attention and stuff like that um not true beyond the top few million customers in this country um right um, so the point being that people don't want it fast or people don't want to pay extra for it being fast that's not what people care about the most right uh, people care about a lot of other things uh, than actually and we were built around really quick delivery um right we were reliable we were quick and stuff like that is it 19 20 minutes still quick delivery and apparently at our checkout 40% of people pick slower delivery because you can offer them 5 rupees off uh right uh, i think we live in a slight bit of an echo chamber in india because all the people that we meet we talk to um look like us um and uh, their needs are similar to us uh i think a much broader audience in this country cares about very different things than we care about um and i think that's uh, for me i think the biggest learning at dunzo has been that um going from a business that would have gone ahead and happily built a business around the top 2 million customers in this country uh versus wanting to build a business for the top 50 million customers in this country um and clearly the top 2 million taught us stuff we got really good at a few things uh for us to even aspire to be able to build for 50 million customers all right okay um switching to a slightly macro note on the category uh, that you operate in um any given week if you open up newspapers news website it looks like some quick commerce company is shutting down laying off uh, almost all of them have like you know four letters uh you know brands right jokers uh, getter no actually gopuff uh gorillas fridge no more many of them have shut down many of them are laying off they're reducing the number of warehouses uh tell us why india will be different India's different market starting, uh, right? Uh, it's important to uh, acknowledge that. I think uh, we have this uh, really uh, interesting way to define the market internally. Uh, for India, I think you need to be quick enough commerce um, and not quick commerce. Um, we might have the density, um, but trying to go ahead and sell speed to customers continuously. Um, Could you help us define quick enough? I'll come to it. Um, right. Um, is uh, so just trying to go ahead and sell the fact that you know we are quick um is uh, potentially something that we believe um is a what you call downward spiral um where we will keep looking for density there are only so many pockets in the country that will go ahead and live up to it um if you go ahead and make a promise you will consistently not deliver on that promise time 
um and that becomes a very loose place for you to be with consumers because you built a whole brand around it um so we actually thought about that at the top itself when we were launching bangalore about a year back um we were like this doesn't make any sense um it didn't make sense to us when we were looking at it globally also uh right uh, like among the four vectors on commerce how can you be focused only on one right uh, that doesn't seem like a customer proposition by itself uh so by the way our delivery times over the years has gone from like 24 minutes on an average to 22 minutes so we have always been quick it's not like you know we were we were delivering any slowly that was the number one reason why customers were buying from us um i think the difference yes is of course between first party supply versus marketplace but i'll come to that in a little bit um this is a really large share of wallet with a really large frequency with customers uh this is not the first time that we are seeing it uh we have that's seen that's true for other countries also right yes, why is india different right. um and i'll come to that right um i think the reason why you're seeing multiple billions of dollars at play in this category is because it's most likely a massive category at scale um if you can crack it uh you're looking at a multiple billion dollar of outcome just because of this category um is why you're seeing so many people try and there being so much capital available to even try uh which is what you are seeing globally play out uh right um, i think there have been um, global cases uh where i think people have gone really hard at the market without necessarily having figured out the unit economics uh right um, and i don't know specifically as to what's happened in those cases uh but that's one of the things that i think uh, i think we have specifically seen with a lot of people uh where they promised time as the most important vector um and they went really hard at the market without actually necessarily figuring out what the unit economics of the market would look like um i don't think i'm going to comment about india i can tell you about us right um, as to what we have done uh one of the first things we did was we said time is okay that's not our number one reason to go hard and promise uh the other thing that we learned was us going ahead and literally promising 2x the amount of time um from a delivery perspective versus what people were trying to do globally and in the country Uh, what is that what's that number approximately the 10 minutes thing oh you mean 10 to 15 minutes yeah i know it must have taken fire at some point <laughs> uh right <laughs> um we figured that the number of what you call stores that were required in a city um the network density was actually significantly lower um it was actually close to 1/3 lower uh right um if you uh, if you double the time double the time right um the other thing that we tested very early uh was with a uh, set of customers especially the urban middle income customers in the country uh we try to go ahead and test their what you call um price sensitivity as well as time sensitivity uh we figured that price sensitivity was significantly higher right um and so at that point itself we went ahead and said that okay the future of this business is actually to go ahead and deliver close to 40 50% of your orders in 45 minutes where people will what you call very uh, openly say that you know i have what you call this particular shopping requirement can come in 45 minutes time i don't have a problem um the other one and the third one which i think is even more important which is the selection part of it right um the selection that you hold inside uh, to be able to what you call for customers to come by uh, what shopping missions is it optimizing for uh we try and optimize for four specific shopping missions uh one is weekly and daily fresh uh, so people are buying fresh very often in the country um second is uh is people are going ahead and buying top up grocery so if you have run out of your monthly requirement suddenly you know something ran out so you can go buy that uh 
थर्ड वन इज इंटेलिजेंसेस इफ यू आर होस्टिंग इफ यू आर टेकिंग सम डाउन टाइम यू नीड टू बी एबल टू यू नो बाय सम वन चीज एक्सेट्रा टू बी एबल टू इंडल्ज द फोर्थ वन इज मोस्ट लाइकली फेस्टिविटीज एंड सीजनैलिटीज देर इज अ फिफ्थ एंड अ सिक्स्थ वन दैट वी आर ट्राइंग टू प्रोडक्टाइज स्टिल अर्ली दो विच विल बी अराउंड ओ टी सी मेडिसिन्स एंड एल्कोहल ब्राइट बोथ हैव रेगुलेटरी रिक्वायरमेंट सो वी आर स्टिल ट्राइंग टू फिगर दैट आउट अमंग द फोर दैट आई टोल्ड यू वी हैव ऑलरेडी प्रोडक्टाइज ओनली अबाउट थर्टी परसेंट ऑफ द नीड सेट ओनली टू आउट ऑफ दैम ब्राइट आर एक्चुअली इंस्टेंटली रिक्वायर्ड द रेस्ट पीपल आर वेरी ओके विद सेंग इल कम इन थर्टी फोर्टी फाइव मिनट्स राइट विच इज अबाउट सिक्सटी सेवेंटी परसेंट ऑफ द एक्चुअल वॉल्यूम नाउ दर इज अ कॉस्ट ऑफ डूइंग दिस ट्रांजेक्शन एंड दैट्स रियली वाई आई मीन पी एम एफ इज नॉट जस्ट अबाउट ग्रोथ इन दीज बिजनेसिस पी एम एफ इन दिस बिजनेस इज अबाउट ग्रोथ रिटेंशन एंड यूनिट इकोनॉमिक्स राइट एंड सो वैन वी रैन आर नंबर्स द फर्स्ट थिंग वी लर्न वॉज ट्राइंग टू एक्चुअली ऑफर समथिंग इन मिनट्स वॉज एक्चुअली द रॉन्ग वे टू गो अबाउट डूइंग इट ट्राइंग टू गो हैड एंड इंडेक्स ऑन द अदर थ्री विच वॉज क्वालिटी सिलेक्शन एंड प्राइस विथ योर कस्टमर्स वॉज पोटेंशली अ लार्ज वे टू गेट टू अबाउट फिफ्टी मिलियन कस्टमर्स आई ऑल्सो बी ऑनस्ट वी हैव वी हैव वी हैव एन एडवांटेज ऑन दिस विच आई डोंट थिंक वी टॉक अबाउट एज मच बट इट्स समथिंग दैट इनहेरेंटली हेज बिन बिल्ट इन टू द ऑर्गनाइजेशन बिकॉज ऑफ इट्स ओन ग्रेजुएशन एंड प्रोग्रेशन Uh, we used to run a marketplace of number of stores so we have still 15000 stores on our platform right uh, we actually totally understand how customers buy from them right um, and who buys what from what specific reasons uh, and i think those learnings when we then used for setting up these convenience stores under dunzo daily uh, were very helpful in trying to say that the three things that customers are going to care about in the long run uh, not in the short term where you know everybody shouting on the front pages saying you know i will get this to you in Four minutes, if you ask me, uh, was selection, price, and quality, um, and those were the three things that we really doubled down and indexed on, saying that selection is going to be customized for literally every geography that we are present in, because a uh, Borivali buy is very differently than Lower Parel. Similarly, a Belandur buy is and Sarjapur buy is very differently than Maleshwaram, uh, right? Um, and on price and quality, you have to, you know, this is not everyday low prices, but it is about convenience pricing. um and on quality that is your growth driver if you can consistently deliver on the quality of fresh that is the one that ends up driving retention for us so at some level you are essentially running like a large retail chain i mean like a 711 kind of network which has its own unique inventory in the neighborhood that it operates in but you're doing that at scale and like i mean this entire point about customized selection in each neighborhood it comes down to that right Yes um I think there are two nuances one is these are of course what you call really large sellers who are going ahead and setting up these entities for us um and they are selling on the platform uh but typically if you were to just think about it and step back right um if you had to create a convenience store experience in 2022 assuming that 20 25% of customers in every geography are going to be digital first right how would you set it up right so if you believe you can get a lot of demand and if you can get a lot of density you will most likely not have a storefront because why go through the cost of having a storefront if i can go ahead and just deliver to customers i okay, don't I must need a storefront ask you this right like you know will there ever be a dunzo storefront at some point are you likely to reach the realization that guys we have like so many dark stores in this city we already have stuff stored in them 
why don't we just put a board and a checkout counter and let consumers buy directly is that ever going to happen you know it's an interview question at danzo <laughs> <laughs> and is there a right answer to that interview question of course not question? like most interview questions uh never say never right at some point if it does come, as i said right we are open to trying anything um today is not a priority um today we have found density in a very unique fashion uh of what we know from our competitor numbers also um our stores run about 2 and 1/2x more volume per square feet uh than what their stores run uh right um, and that is actually just because of the choices that we made at the top uh where we said that this is not going to be about speed this is going to be about selection price and quality uh we'll make sure that we are going to place them correctly the location has to be spot on uh we are going to find demand centers and then go ahead and roll stuff out um and so that's actually really played out well over the last 6 to 9 months time uh how often do you change your mind and do you find it easy weekly <laughs> i'll tell you the reason for it also right <laughs> I am not an organic customer of this use case. Right? So I am PLU people like you, right? Uh I I I understand the top 2 3 5 million customers in the country. That's where Tanzo got built out of, right? Our aspirations are much bigger. And so then over the last 18 24 months time we have changed that around to say okay great now that we have built so much can we take the same skill sets and build this for 50 million customers. Right? That's really the evolution that we have gone from uh, over the last 18 to 24 months. um and in that uh, i have had to start learning about consumer segments um that i've not actually well understood before uh, my understanding of that customer segment isn't necessarily uh, that strong um i don't have insights about this customer segment um and so i'm increasingly learning so much uh, about how people buy what they buy um why do they tend to pair stuff with each other um i was recently on a call from with somebody who is a really big retail veteran uh right um, and they gave me a really interesting insight um they were like you know when we were younger um one of the things that uh, uh that we were made to do was uh go to a store um and look at a uh, shopping cart that has been created by somebody and the customer is not next to it they might be somewhere shopping etc and you have to guess the demographic of the customer and i was like mm-hmm. and this is of course pre ai I don't think AI is answering this question, yet, right? So one of the one of the funnest moments nowadays that I have is, um, is so you know in the morning hours, uh, like usually on a cycle route, I will go stop at one of the warehouses, um, and orders start in at like six thirty odd, right? Um, and so you just stand over there and you know uh, you look at a cart and here too there is no way to even know, uh, right? Um, and just try and figure out what shopping mission was this, right? Like what need. would have been created for somebody to buy 12 packets of milk and four packets of mari biscuit that's it that was the cart right um, and i'm wondering hmm, i i i can't come up with it and so nowadays it's crazy um at some point in 2019 i think when we were building a lot more logistics etc and a platform right um, at that point of course a lot of learnings were mostly around delivery um right um now i think uh, with uh, the category creation part of it also that's gotten built in um i think you get to learn a lot more about customer segments um buying behavior shopping uh, habits and instances during the same day uh and that's just fascinating um i think the one thing that i've done till that is before this is work at atel 
that was a simpler product <laughs> you know like people want to talk uh, but over there also i think during that period uh, that company went through that transition where we used to think of uh, telecom as broadly something that you know everybody needed um to i remember kupal uh, vittal joining in his first stint uh, right as director of marketing and really pushing the organization towards customer mindsets um and you know uh, that's where really that uh, i think ad came about baatein karne se baatein banti hai uh right uh, it's very insightful right as to why are customers calling um uh, right similarly why are customers buying how are they buying are they buying differently on this platform than they would buy when they go into a store because over there they have sunk cost um so there's much to learn um on the on the topic of changing our mind um i was researching one of our last conversations and during that in 2018 you felt that your biggest competitor would be amazon and like you know i'll quote something that you told me back then which is why stuff coming from fulfillment centers it makes no sense because people have to go back to fulfillment centers we are going to send stuff from stores and yet i think you've like you know what close to 80% of your business by the end of this year like you know i was researching is going to come from your own dark stores and like you know which are effectively fulfillment centers right so it's a great example of changing your mind do you do you find any dissonance when you change your mind so drastically do your team members find any dissonance kabhi changes mind he believed in exactly something else and now he believes in how do you manage to believe uh go from believing one thing so strongly to believing in another thing so strongly so i mentioned a slightly earlier regarding relevance right um, and i think that's most likely the most important job um from a founder ceo perspective regarding just seeing as to what customer behavior is changing um and how can you make sure that you're constantly relevant to your consumer audience right um and as i mentioned we're willing to test anything uh right um, so when you add both of those together uh i think what you realize is uh, uh you have to be open to any idea that has come into the business to be able to question any belief that has existed before i also think there's an underlying reason for it um i think uh, consumer behavior uh the ability of the internet to be able to morph into the real world um and the amount of capital that's available to be able to try new ideas right um uh, all of those three things together is actually accelerating the pace of innovation in multiple pockets right um and so what that tends to do is um constantly makes you uh, ask this question that you might have started off with something in your head saying you know we will build this right but in that journey uh, those three factors are going to be very important and those three factors don't necessarily allow you to just go ahead and say that you know uh, i will only keep building the thing that i wanted but try out a lot of other things also uh, to be able to say maybe this works a little bit better um and then if it does then you find a way to be able to scale it um and you find a way to be able to scale it infinitely and i think the in- and the, i think the internet is changing very very quickly at this point um you can feel it right like the amount of change or the amount of things that people are willing to try today um i think is significantly higher than what existed 5 years back um and i think if you are not going to go ahead and stay true to that change uh then you will most likely become irrelevant in your business at some point um so apply that to this particular example um we believe that marketplaces will exist right uh, it's not something that will go away off the platform ever is the reason why we continue to have 15000 stores on the platform we haven't gone ahead and 
uh, what you call over-invested in it yet, but it's something that we do plan to go and invest in next year. Um, but we figured that there was a small selection uh, that customers really cared about a lot more than buying everything else on the, uh, 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 on the platform. And for those items, every time they had a selection, price and quality problem, they would churn. And what was the only way to go ahead and solve for selection, quality and price? Uh, so we worked with a lot of what you call marketplace stores, etc. to fix it. Um, and at some point, I think it wasn't working. So we said that for a small selection, we'll try and make sure that it is vertically integrated. So that vertical integration allows us to go ahead and build for our customers at a really large time who then continue to then go ahead and buy on the marketplace after that. Uh, but it, and I, the numbers are crazy, by the way. Uh, month six retention is up by 2,000 bips in comparison. That's 20% month six retention difference. For those who, or those who transact on the first party or the vertically integrated user experience versus the same basket transacting on the marketplace. The data is a no-brainer. Good. What's your most reliable hack to learn something new frequently? Do you have one? I'm not a big fan of hacks in general. Um, Methods, I, processes. I'm somebody who likes to learn by doing. Um, so uh, it's just something that comes intuitively just because somebody said something neota. Um, and so I try and usually, and comes back to that whole idea of testing something all the time. Tell us something uh, that you learned by doing recently. Personally or at work? Could be anything. Could be anything. Uh, Personally? I started meditating a lot more. Uh, right? Um, and uh, it's been very helpful over the last 18 months. Uh, it's, I started off with like 2-3 minutes. And I'm at about 20. Uh, and just by doing it and not giving up. Um, I think if... I can convince myself, um, and this is something that I uh, that I'm just amazed by in general, uh, by the capability of what the human mind is, well, possible uh, it can do, right? Um, if you can convince yourself that it is good for you, um, and if you can apply yourself, I potentially believe actually nothing's impossible. Um, you can get to the 95th percentile fairly easily. Between the 95th and the 99th percentile, of course, you'll have to then dedicate more time. Uh, but you can get 95th percentile good enough for most things in life if you are willing to apply yourself. Um, you must be coming across dozens, possibly hundreds of data points, insight, um, experiences, behaviors in a week while interacting with customers, reading metrics, etc. and stuff like that, right? What's your method for storing or archiving the stuff which is important, like, you know, whether it's in your own brain, whether it's somewhere else, do you have a method? So we push for reducing stuff in every conversation that we have, right? Uh, if you want, you can look for absolutely every possible kind of metric in this business, right? Um, but not everything is going to move the needle. Um, so we actually do a, uh, do a very hard look at what constitutes a P0 metric. Uh, for any conversation. Uh, so What's a P0 metric? Um, priority zero. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we just look for what is the most important metric in every conversation. So PNL conversation has its own P0 metrics. Um, uh, what you call weekly business review has its own one. Um, a retail one will go ahead and have a separate set of them. A particular project when it is being run, right? And so we call 
very important three or four projects that we are running, um, like a big bet, uh, what you call every six months, like a ninja project. Um, and so it will have its own specific P0 metrics. And in every conversation, our job is to go ahead and say, okay, is this metric important? Right? Um, so trying to reduce the number of things that you see um, and only seeing the most impactful ones uh, has been, I think, very helpful. Uh, but my question wasn't so much about metrics as it was about insights or knowledge that you stumble across every day. It could be a conversation that you had with a user. It could be that basket that you spied outside a dark store on your cycling trip back and something struck you from it, right? Uh, where do those like, you know, tidbits, disconnected, uh, unorganized, like, you know, bits of information go? How do you make sense of it? Meditating. Very, very important on that one. Um, I think what you do is you uh, you collect this information and one of the important things is to not lose it. Um, so I use some tool or the other to be able to make sure that in case what I've learned that? something. Huh? What tool is that? It can be as simple as notes on what you call <laughs> on uh, on all Apple devices. Uh, but I've now moved them to Google uh, Doc, uh, not a sheet specifically. Uh, because it allows you to write free form and just uh, write about the things that you learned. Um, and then usually try and read it once on the weekend based upon what you learned over the last week. Um, and then just keep it subconsciously at the back of your mind. Um, I heard this very interesting talk once, which was about procrastinators. Um, and I think I'm a serial procrastinator at some level. Um, I tend to subconsciously chew on a particular topic for a really long period of time. And then when the time comes, um, we'll execute on it in the last 48 hours. Uh, I didn't realize this about myself uh, till a really, I think up till about 18 months back, 24 months back when, when I think I was talking about it or reading about it. But if I do, I do this, right? Like I've had three weeks to do this and I'm still doing this in the last 72 hours. Um, and it's not about urgent over important and stuff, none of that. Um, but what it did was the quality of work that I was putting out three weeks before something versus three days before something was substantially different. So which one was better? The three days before one. Right. Right. But there is a theory that yes, says that if you procrastinate, it like, you know, your some... subconscious is thinking about the problem. That's right. Right. And it works for some people. It doesn't work for some people. Right. Like I have team members who will start panicking at that point. Think, you know, this is like you're presenting to 40 people. <laughs> and uh, but it does tend to work. Um, so what I've done is regarding ideas, etc. Also, I've started using the same format where I'm like, I will collect all of this information. Um, if it's something very, very important, then I'll share it with the team immediately so that they can action it, etc. But those are usually, you know, things that are not working rather than things that could work. Um, and then just go ahead and what you call, keep thinking about it, th meditate around it literally every day. Um, and then hopefully something inspires you enough to try and put pen to paper. Um, and I think once in three months, maybe something does. I must ask you, uh, do you use an app for meditation? Uh, no. I just, I'm like, for this also, I say no. So you freestyle? <laughs> I just, I'm sitting on the floor. And so like, whenever I open my eyes, that's it. Good. I want to talk about uh, how you handle failures, um, either individually or as CEO. Um, there have been like, you know, many bets I'm sure that Dunzo has placed. Like, for example, one of the things that we spoke about earlier was bike taxis. You guys have gotten big into food delivery by tying up directly with restaurants, etc. Ad-funded logistics, I don't really know. So, 
what is your view about failures like you know big bets to failures like you know how do you view them how do you teach the rest of your organization how to view them i think it's our duty to take bets right uh, it's our duty to be able to go ahead and uh, what you call uh, and i really like this line from amazon innovate on behalf of our customers it truly is right uh, because our customers do something uh, they go ahead and interact with us uh, we collect a lot of information from them uh, if you're not using that to be able to reimagine the future for them uh, then we are not doing what we are supposed to do in our business uh, we are bound to fail when we do that um, right very high possibility that that's going to happen um and i think when we actually go ahead and decide to what you call um, call it saying you know this is a failure uh we do a debrief talk about our learnings from it and move on right um, and for us i think uh, the fact that we will take a what you call shot at the next idea that we have um uh, without having the baggage from the last failure i think is more important than the failure by itself good what phrases are you known for best inside danzo mota mota uh <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> roughly 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 would, roughly all right uh, like because getting perfect answers takes forever right and i don't think you can you can keep running behind perfect answers uh that's actually been maybe the biggest change that i have made in the last few years where you know i'm somebody who does like the perfect answer very often uh but businesses don't run behind perfect answers right and you have to be able to broadly start moving uh quick enough with enough quick enough quick enough right uh, and with enough information you need to be able to start taking decisions so i was actually just on a call outside um and uh, the person who leads our planning uh and we are doing like a pnl review for july etc uh and he used mota mota and i started laughing <laughs> so mota mota what else uh we want to do things that don't scale um i think we started the business like that um so again it comes back to that whole uh, what you call uh, culture of trying um and testing uh we would much rather hackily test something to know if it has benefits uh than keep waiting for whether you know like strong right first here. principles reasoning to that which is uh are you a big believer in first principles uh broadly yes uh right uh, we push everybody to go ahead and come back with uh, what you call what was the first principle that would have gone ahead and made them come up with this uh how do idea. you do that how do you do that i think uh what you call um critical discussion around everything is very important right um and not um going ahead and taking it personally uh both of them um and i think we just encourage that we encourage that from a note that uh, ceo puts together to the planning team that puts together to a design uh, wireframe that exists um to something that you know is going ahead and getting done operationally even as an experiment uh where critical reasoning and critical questioning of everything is uh, is just the culture of the organization it comes from the honest humility curiosity was it hard to build because generally there is resistance to quote unquote documentation there are a lot of people bring along from other organizations or from their own bias etc right? like why why do you want so much let's move to execution documentation is a waste of my time and even if you know many people do it it's never really that good enough because it's like it's a checklist how do you build a culture of i mean it's not really documentation it's really explaining and like you know so how do you do that it's actually Danzo? critical reasoning and thinking that's what it is how right? do you build that culture uh, i think now people learn off each other 
um right uh, initially the first uh, six months were hard um uh, and i think that happened about two and a half three years back i think what uh, was the trigger uh, who was the catalyst i it has to start from from the ceo they have to be willing to put together documents to be able to do that right uh, i have this wish at some point to turn my board meeting into a six page doc uh but someday Uh, another yet. Amazon reference. Yes, but that today is, of course, a presentation that I walk people through. Hmm. Uh, right, that's I think the most likely the only presentation that we make at Dunzo. Uh, right? Which is uh, investors um, on a quarterly or a six monthly basis to be able to walk them through business progress. Um, other than that, there are no presentations that get made. Right. Uh, the reason for the writing this came from um, increasingly people were putting together sketchy ideas that other people wouldn't understand if they weren't in the room that was the big problem and as your organization gets more complex and uh, distributed right uh, and distributed uh, i think the artifact has to be self explanatory right and what discussion happened around the artifact is also has to be self explanatory to somebody who's actually going ahead and making maybe taking the information second hand um it became a lot more important uh, actually during covid when we started work from home uh it just organically became the best way to go ahead and do stuff um uh, forget about uh, like an effort to do something um it was organically the right thing to do is there a system within dunzo is it google docs yeah yeah everything is google docs um and we take like 30 minutes at the top of the meeting to just read it and leave comments um uh, either somebody in the first 5 or 7 minutes completely does not agree to it and that conversation can happen um or uh, they are all ideas where are how do we improve this um then we'll just go through the comments that have been left on the google doc period and so what it does is for anybody who's not in the room at that point not only understands the context but also the discussion that happened because the comments have been addressed and left there great and the person who owns a function or a project owns this document every meeting has somebody who's running it right like why call for a meeting if you can't put together a pager so there are no presentations that dunzo yeah yeah we stopped all hands may of course <laughs> like That's... 800 900 people all hands hard to do world <laughs> talk what's the one line your team dreads hearing from you ye hoga kya just <laughs> that's your skeptical hand is usually right um because i i have a sense on the business uh, right um, and i've tried to make the math work in my head um, or the reasoning from a customer perspective um, and i'm not able to get over the hump in my head right uh, so somebody needs to be able to explain to me as to why uh, you know this they are more convinced about and at the end of the day uh, i think there are few decisions that i own right and i think one of the big changes that we have tried to make over the last few years um has been to try and uh, make sure that the it for stuff is defined right uh, very Sorry, much so what does that mean uh, the it as in the decision making ah, right it. this is you right so even if i might have uh, ye hoga kya uh, if it is your project and you are the it just 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 to translate that phrase it's huh. will this happen will this happen sorry uh right for people who will follow in english um uh, and for some reason i've realized that hindi uh, what you call tends to uh, communicate the feeling a lot better uh right uh, and um, and if and it's the it's job to be able to go ahead and you know take the final decision uh 
if uh, what you call the eat on the project is me um then if i ask that question is my responsibility to answer it got it what are like if if we were to do like a poll within dunzo within your team etc what are the three top adjectives people would use to describe you this is a two a poll <laughs> well i mean we can't you're not going to let us so <laughs> just join the all hands <laughs> <laughs> Not sure, man. Um, I uh, your feedback loops are pretty strong, so I'm I, sure you do. I do think uh, people will uh, tell you about honesty for sure, uh, right? Uh, I think uh, people will also say humility and curiosity. Honest, humble, and curious. Curious. I do think there will also be uh, areas of being slightly volatile. Right. Um, hmm. So uh, there are points where you know I'm like. after a second or a third attempt right of trying to go ahead and get something across and if it is not happening um i'm still trying to get better at being able to manage my emotions got it um if you weren't ceo at dunzo what other c title would you be best at i wouldn't do a c title i would be a product manager at dunzo what about being a product manager oh i would intuitively want to build incredible digital experiences that come to life in the real world for our consumers all right um what part of your job do you wish you didn't have to do <laughs> fundraising <laughs> great uh, on that question um what is one counterintuitive piece of wisdom about fundraising you'd like to share with entrepreneurs you got to hit as many doors as you can uh not very counterintuitive but i'll be i think everybody most likely knows if they want to invest in you in the first call itself um uh, after that they're just reasoning it out for themselves hmm i remember during our last conversation so that comes back to saying if you hit as many doors hmm then this will end up getting triggered at some point got it because it's just that it seems like you know uh, you're talking to like instead of talking to 100 people talk to 1000 people the probability of somebody going ahead and liking you in the first hour is much higher and then they will be constantly working at convincing themselves got it uh, how do you, how do you solicit feedback just ask how like do you actually have a process where you go and ask people for feedback about something that you did or like do you do that regularly as a matter of uh process so three instances uh, or three different ways by the way right um one is there is a structured way to do it uh, every what you call uh, assessment cycle which is six monthly or what you call biannually at 360 uh, degree service it's a 360 degree right so all the people that work with me directly um we do what you call back and forth feedback and then we go ahead and sit and read it together um right um that's one uh the second one is uh I think one of the things that I encourage a lot of people um, is if they actually go ahead and um, find something that they want to be able to share feedback from in a particular interaction, they should try and do it immediately then and there. Because I tend to learn from examples a lot more, and by doing, um, then if you come and tell me like a month later, I go, "Yad bin," it's very hard to remember, right? Just like there is nothing wrong that will come out of it, and that's the trust that I will build with you. Just like you know, like ping me on Slack. Right, if required, we'll just do like a five-minute huddle to be able to just hear. I might agree, I might disagree, right? But I'd much rather hear from you than not hear. Um, mostly, I agree because you know uh, people are being very objective whenever they're going doing this. The last one, which I've now started doing a lot more, is uh, every time 
I'm unhappy with an interaction, right? Um, I tend to ask myself why, right? Earlier, I used to not do that because I used to move on to the next one, right? Um, I'll usually move the next one by 15 minutes and ask myself why. Um, and based upon the answers from the why, then I will most likely proactively reach out to try and say, okay, hey, that's how, because I want to get better at it. Uh, it's something that I believe I'm most likely on a two-decade journey of uh, to get better at. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that one I've started introducing now, the third one. And what about giving feedback? That usually I told you at the top itself, right? Mm. Um, the hundred and zero trust thing. Mm. I will have a conversation with you immediately in case there is something again. Um, I will make time for you as and when you want me to be able to do it. Um, and then every six months we pick up a very formal conversation also. Got it. What motivates you and drives you? If you had asked me about three years back, I would have said uh, to be able to, what you call... Uh, I think build a really big business without uh, and impacting a lot of customers and delivery partners um, and what you call going ahead and doing an IPO for this business, uh, right? Uh, I think the answer has gotten a little murkier since then, uh, right? Because some of it is actually playing out at this point. Uh, I do think I'd like to be able to... Uh, hopefully believe that this company will get to an IPO at some point. Um, I just, I think it's a check mark which maybe my parents would be proud of. Maybe, who knows? Maybe that's the rationale behind it. I don't think there's a logical reason for it. Um, I do think liquidity can be created for people irrespectively. It's not necessarily the IPO that's required. Um, but I think I'm still trying to answer that now. I think over the last 18 months especially um, of having worked at home, um, also had a baby uh, who's now 12 months congratulations um, who's turned a year old who's turned a year old over the weekend um, I'm increasingly trying to answer that question and I don't necessarily think I have an answer but maybe in a couple of years time I will I agree that's a um, nice uh, segue for me to ask you what has parenting taught you about yourself that you didn't know earlier I didn't know I could have this much patience <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> like and uh, and the plus one says it very obviously She's like there is a completely different equation going on here I haven't seen this much patience from you in years or ever uh, maybe it comes from my own experiences uh, with my parents who were actually very much working parents who went to work um, literally a month after I was born um, right um, and this is in the 80s uh, both of them were working. I didn't see them around that much. Um, and, you know, the previous generation was trying to make a life, build a life. Um, so they often had very different kinds of stresses um, and time. Um, and so I think I've just believed that, you know, we have a little bit of uh, privilege today to be able to have, uh, to be able to inculcate kindness um, into, uh, into somebody that we have decided to bring into the world. Uh, if they can just be kinder as human beings um, and to themselves, um, I think that would be like a good thing to do. Do you feel more pressure as a CEO or as a parent? I have CEO, I think. All right. I think, um, I think the responsibility of having raised uh, um, that much capital, and I think I talk about it um, in enough interactions internally also see at some after a particular level of capital now you most likely have 
somebody's pension fund in your business. Now, they might have not directly invested in you, but they've come through somebody else. Uh, right? Uh, and I think once you raise capital, it's your responsibility to be able to go ahead and return that capital and do just with it. Um, to go ahead and deploy it in an extremely high ROI fashion. Um, right? Uh, build meaningful businesses that are going to go ahead and um, and I say this often also, right? The job of businesses is to be able to make money, right? Uh, everything else given, but the job of businesses you don't is to, say. to make money. I mean, analyzing venture-funded businesses, one would assume that that's not necessarily true all the time. Not really, like, you know, just, it's okay. We are, we are respectfully disagree. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, I think that's the, that's the, that's the thing that is very important to do. Um, and India's a tough market, Right. Uh, it's a tough market from multiple, uh, what you call vectors. Um, so I think to be able to go ahead and make sure that you build a, uh, build a business that's going to go ahead and make money um, is the most important thing. And it's a tough thing to do, um, as we are all realizing when companies are hitting the public markets. Uh, making money in this country is not as easy. Right. Um, what are some of the things that you do which others might find quirky? And I'll add one into the pot. Um, I think you invest in pretty much all the Dunzo rounds that happen with your own money as well, right? In a very small, relatively insignificant way compared to the size of the round, but you still do it. So, uh, I at some point... It's quirky. It is. How many CEOs do that? I wouldn't know. Uh, right? Uh, it's basically my vote of confidence that this stock's going up uh, from whatever you're investing at. Um, it's I think how did more, it come about? How did it come about? What the I don't know. I just instance? felt right at some point, and so I think I did it. I think two rounds from the 2019 round. I think I didn't do it in the earlier couple of rounds because I hadn't thought of it. I think once we got out of you know, and 2018 was a really hard time to raise money, if you remember or not. Uh, especially for delivery businesses, <laughs> it was ridiculous, and I, I. I 2017 and 18, right? And honestly, we survived, right? And we have had our, what you call, near skirmishes with what you call um, survival and going ahead and building from there multiple times. Um, and so once that ended up happening, I was like, you know, now that this has happened, uh, right? Um, and I've increasingly started expressing a lot of gratitude um, on a daily basis while meditating, uh, right um, and so one of the things that came out of that was also to say hey you know every time we do a round can I actually go ahead and do something of my personal money also um, it's usually very very tiny in comparison uh, but uh, but it's just a statement from my end saying you know uh, I'm also putting in money from you from my context it is a lot of money um, and I believe that every dollar that you're putting in I will use it as responsibly as I would use Has money. any investor who's come into a round ever asked you why you're doing this? Every one of them So there, that's that's the answer to the question of is it not common? I wouldn't know I wouldn't ask what other people say They're like usually what is this? <laughs> I, was like, that's so, the, I mean what so, is this rounding I, error is what they would probably I, have I think the fun one that I've said is um of whatever percentage of your money you are investing, from my perspective, this is that equal. <laughs> but yeah, got it. Uh, that um, six out of time, ten times. If you're eating out, what is one dish that you'll order? Could be seven out of ten, eight out of ten. If there's something like that, I've been through my own journey regarding health, so now it's a smoothie bowl usually. Just 
ब्यूटिफुल सेट ऑफ थ्री आईलैंड राइट एंड दे हैव दिस एंड यू कैन ओनली गो देर बाई बोट एंड दे डोंट हैव अ मोटराइज वेहीकल ऑन द आईलैंड राइट एंड सो आई रिमेंबर रनिंग अराउंड द आईलैंड वंस इट्स सेवन किलोमीटर्स राइट सो यू कैन डू इट इन वन चक्कर एंड एंड सो दे हैड लाइक अ स्मूदी बोल प्लेस विच इज राइट एट द प्लेस विद द फेरी डॉक्स टिल डेट आई थिंक द बेस्ट वन आई हैड इफ सम लॉक यू इन अ रूम फॉर ट्वेंटी फोर आवर्स विद नो इंटरनेट what would you do oh, so uh, i actually talk about this also one of the things that i think has been the biggest uh, uh, loss uh, has been reading in my life uh, it's i would uh, i grew up as a single kid uh, right in a small little town in india called silvasa it's a union territory of dadra and nagar haveli it's capital uh, we got internet also very late by be honest uh, so as a very young 12 13 year old we had about a thousand books at home um and it was and a single kid so it was like the go to thing to do uh, to just read um uh, and i think over the last 5 years of actually 4 5 years of doing done so i think that's been like a big loss um we don't find as much time um i would happily just read and like and i've also now discovered a new thing which i'm so happy about i've gone ahead and uh split two habits one is the habit of buying books uh is a hobby and the what you call uh to read books is another hobby and i have stopped connecting both of them so i am like i will buy as many books as i want <laughs> right without feeling the guilt that i have to read everything immediately and then i will read whatever i can whenever i can find the time uh, what does the ratio look like like uh 10 to 1 right uh, but i'm really happy that i've been able to do this because a few years back i used to just stress and i used to not buy because i used to feel guilty about the fact that i have not read uh now i think that we have split both of them i'm very happy right um what are some of the most recent books that you've read have you have you yes. like managed to find what, what are your favorite so i'm rereading founders mindset by the way uh right um, i think we are going through um um and i reread good to great also at some point and hard things about hard things also sometime recently uh physical books kindle so i do both no i have realized you have to be ready you might not be just you need to know what page number translates from kindle to the book it's very easy to find out and then go ahead and shift because you like physical books but you can't carry it everywhere so like i'm going to be traveling for the next 3 days time it's like a very light travel so i'm not carrying a book so i have the kindle with me whenever i can find the physical book so now i buy both by the way also <laughs> like so you, you know, buy when i start reading i'll buy the kindle version and the hard uh, what you call and the soft cover and then you know interchange based upon whatever convenience exists at that point uh i'm specifically reading these books over the last 12 months because uh i think we are we're looking at very interesting times over the next 12 to 18 months right um and i want to be able to recommend a few books for the team to be able to read um and I don't necessarily remember which would be the most relevant one, or maybe I could just share my notes of it, um, right? Uh, one of the two. But uh, broadly, because I think the next eight, twelve months at least um, on venture, 
um, and for what you call uh, new economy businesses is going to be a time that most likely we haven't seen before this. You uh, mean this in a bad way, right? I mean this in a positive way. It will go ahead and build great businesses, <laughs> right? You're uh, the optimist. I'm not the optimist. I'm very much the realist in this. So let's backtrack a bit. Yes, you please. said the next 12 to 18 months are going to be nothing like we've ever seen. Explain that. Unpack that for us. So I think uh, uh, what you call a lot of capital tends to go ahead and hide a lot of problems, right? It's obvious, right? You can go ahead and you know uh, spend your money through some of them. Uh, businesses that actually end up making money are actually usually very tightly run ships. right other than a few platform network effect businesses right we tend to all refer to those and say can all business should look like that they don't right most businesses that make money are actually very rigorous um, hard charging uh, what you call um squeezing every penny to be able right. to go ahead and make sure that cogs is absolutely right um and that's how you make money that's the reality of how to make money um and we tend to forget them when we have cheap capital available uh, right uh, at dunzo we haven't had that by the way <laughs> very easily uh, we have had our challenges with what you call capital um, given frankly we've run in an extremely what you call uh, competitive business where we are an adjacency to a few people uh, right uh, who are still trying to figure out whether they should do it not do it sorry who are they like the food delivery businesses and the ride sharing businesses have all tried to be like you know saying ye kuch kar raha right? it seems to be growing very quickly but should we do it or not right and for a really long period of time that really existed um and uh, and so we have had our challenges of raising capital so we have built a culture around it also but when you have really fluid what you call um time periods of capital it tends to go ahead and change habits if your habits have been uh, changed enough to seep into culture uh it's a very hard place to recoil back from right um at least in our case i'm hoping and i know that we haven't hopefully uh, but only time will tell i'll be honest in some of this you can't tell um, and so i think uh, in the next 12 to 18 months time actually we'll go ahead and uh, be about businesses that can actually figure out how to go ahead and make money in the businesses that they are playing in um, as i kept mentioning right if you are a uh, <laughs> if you're a especially in the business of commerce right most of them that we talk about in india are those itself how many of them are network platform plays very few right uh, there is a real cost of doing business right and that can get hidden uh, by really large growth metrics uh, but at the end of the day the unit economics of the business are what are the most important thing because that's why product market fit cannot be defined by frequency retention tam singularly you have to be able to add saying okay great you got there with your proposition now can that proposition make money because and this of course is one of my favorite ones is till the day that is true you are dependent on some strange person's kindness to be able to fund your next growth uh what you call journey just for the record uh, danzo is still not profitable we are profitable in certain markets uh right um, we were close to being profitable in 2020 um in 2021 we went ahead and started doing this category so of course we put out you know a lot of growth spends etc uh but i think our biggest goal in the last 6 months 
was to while scaling make sure that some of our markets were starting to be still profitable so we know what model works which is why i said quick enough commerce all right just doing quick doesn't make money in this country is 100% something that we know now uh, right because what will end up happening is you'll have to charge a steep enough delivery charge that people are not willing to pay uh and that's most likely then again a downward spiral because how big is the market then density drops your utilization of your asset tends to drop and stuff like that um so we are able to make money in markets where we have gone ahead and rolled out our full proposition uh where it is quick enough commerce on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with life is the goal of life to be happy so then there is no scale so there is no number is it the goal to be happy but i could ask you many questions on a scale of 1 to 10 how satisfied are you with life life has many goals it's one of the questions that sure ah Six. Okay, that's great. Um, doing what makes you lose all sense of time? Reading, meditating, and cycling. Actually, what cycle do you drive or ride? I drive a very basic cycle. A friend of mine helped me get it. Some Merida uh, hybrid. I'm in the market to buy a nicer cycle. Um, I am Last not in the market to do the research for buying that cycle. Last when we met, you called cycling a rich man's hobby. It is a rich man's hobby. It's a rich man's running. Tell us more. Why? Have you run? Occasionally. It is. It is the most exhausting way to lose calories, <laughs> right? On cycling, you can get some downtime, right? And I also think it lets you uh, lets you see so much more, right? You can go out there, see the world. Uh, like my favorite route is to actually go to the airport and come back. um and so once i reach the airport then i will park the cycle on the side and then see aircraft take off um right um and then you know then cycle back it's about 60 kilometers in all it's like a good like you know two and a half hours um but like nice it gives you good downtime which morning of the week do you look forward to the most all of them lots of gratitude man roy for getting an opportunity to do what we do Mondays, Sundays, yes. Saturdays—they're all I, the same. I think the biggest change has been gratitude over the years. I've started having a lot more gratitude towards uh, towards life, towards conditions. Like you know, we can of course keep complaining about stuff. Um, it's not supposed to be easy. If it was, then you know, why you, we decided to do this? Um, so we yeah, have just lots of gratitude. How do you spend your weekends? Uh, Saturdays nowadays we're looking for a house. Sunday with the baby. and second half of sundays is work is that what last time you called monday which is a mix of sundays and mondays monday continues that's the only way to get a jump start on the week um what new things have you tried or bought recently which you are excited by so i used to play the guitar when i was in college uh then unfortunately dad passed away when i was 20 um uh, and uh, i stopped playing uh in the last 12 months since the baby's been around i think for the first time i felt like playing um so i've bought a guitar i'm shit at it right now uh but it is most likely something that i will try and if i ask you to send us a recording will you no i told you i sound like shit <laughs> all right um i think last question uh what's the last thing you really geeked out on I think the pictures from the uh, web telescope. I think uh, just the enormity of it was uh, was was something that was 
I think you, and it comes from the whole place of expressing gratitude every day. Uh, I just, I think you, the fact that so much amount of research has gone in and there are actual, what you call signs of that research being true, uh, right? Um, especially in um, quantum physics, etc. cetera. Um, like, especially the part where galaxies are what you call turning by themselves or, you know, are curved in shape. Uh, that's something that's been postulated for a while. Um, and we actually have, you know, physical evidence of the fact that, you know, there's a picture that's doing that. Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible as to what uh, what we are able to do in outer space today. Uh, it makes you realize as to, you know, we should express more gratitude every day, I think. Thank you so much, Kabir. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yes. And that was our first interview. Thank you for making it this far. And since you have, I would love to hear what you thought of the conversation. Did you learn anything new after viewing the world through Kabir's lenses? Were there questions I missed? Are there questions you want me to ask other guests? Please write to us at podcasts at the ken.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at the rate T-H-E hyphen K-E-N dot com. I'll see you again soon.